Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Call all hands. Speak to quarters. Run out the guns. Stand by this tower battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Blind stops ready. Aye, sir. Ready. Fire. <laughs> Michael Redgrave as C.S. Forrester's Indomitable Man of the Sea. At this period of time, looking back on what I suppose I may call a successful career... I can afford to smile at the worries which beset me as an ambitious and conscientious captain trying to muster a crew for the Sutherland. But those difficulties were real and painful enough then. I stared gloomily from the window of my lodging house and listened to Lieutenant Bush as he read my carefully worded proclamation to the small and highly derisive crowd of loungers in the market square. spirit, seamen, landsmen, and boys who wish to strike a blow for freedom, yeah. and make the Corsican tyrant wish he'd never dared the wrath of these British isles. His Majesty's ship, Sutherland, of two decks and 74 guns, is at present commissioning at Plymouth, and a few vacancies still exist to complete her crew. Who wishes for a hatful of golden Louis d'Or for prize money? There will be fiddlers and dancing every evening, and provisions at 16 ounces to the pound. Yes, what a hard tack! The best of beef, the best of bread, and grog at midday every day of the week. Oh, in addition to the pay under the 
warrant of his most gracious majesty, King George. Hey, hey, what's that? Yes, gang, if you ask for it. Where's my man going to get paid? Attract men more than a ship of the line, sir. No, Bush. They've better chances of prize money. Well, I'll have to send four lieutenants each with half a dozen men round the southern counties. I don't care what you find, volunteers or press men, but I need another 50 seamen and 200 landsmen and boys. If I don't complete my crew, it means the loss of the command. You'll see to it, Bush, hmm? Aye, aye, sir. Master at arms wishes to report, sir. <clears throat> what more indiscipline? He has my orders to flog the skin off any mutinous seaman. I'll have no unrest at the start of a new commission. Well, I don't think he's that, sir. Why? Why, look, here he comes now, sir. What a queer-looking lot of men he's got with him, sir. Oh, good heavens, what creatures are these? Handcuffed together, some are in leg irons, all in rags. What are they doing on my ship? Uh, or if, uh, what the devil is this? You answer. I signed a receipt to the sergeant what brought him. Soldiers, where did these these scarecrows come from? Exeter Assizes, sir. Huh? I got a list, sir. Uh, uh, four of them poachers. That one in moleskin breeches, his name's Waits. He's a sheep stealer. Oh, is he? Uh, the one in black was a brewer's manager before he was took for bigamy. The others is mostly larceny, sir. Except for them two in front, what's in for rick burning, and uh, the two in irons, they're robbery with violence. Thirty of them altogether, sir. Uh, <clears throat> and they've chosen service at sea instead of their sentences. Mm. Fine addition to my ship's company. Budding mutineers, sulky ruffians, half-witted yokels. Still, hands they are, and I must make the most of them. Might be worth trying to win their affection. Look, why are they handcuffed? Release them at once. Beg pardon, sir. I didn't like to do without orders, seeing what they are. Never mind what they are. They're in the king's service now, and I'll have no man in irons in my ship unless he's given me cause to do it. No, sir. These men are recruits in an honorable service with an honorable future before them. Now, listen, men. Any man who does his duty as best he can has nothing to fear in this ship and everything to hope for. Now I want to see the dirt of the place you've come from washed off. Dismiss. Rice, find one of the person's mates and see if these men are properly dressed. Aye, aye, sir. Ah, Mr. Bush, that's another 30 anyway. I think I've won some of them over. My private opinion is they've made a bad bargain. They'd be better off in jail. with a shot at your feet before we make us in. And a good job, too. Thompson, what's the meaning of this? 
Maybe Fonzo, we're cleaning the prison dirt and fleas off them. But none of them ain't ever had a bath in their lives. And they won't get under that pumps. I won't have those men cowed, Thompson, and I won't tolerate bullying. One day, all our lives may depend on their loyalty. Clean them by all means, but no bullying. Okay, I'll speak to them. Look, under the pump with you, men. Won't hurt you. When we get to sea, you'll see me under that pump every morning at seven bells. Isn't that so, you others, huh? Yes, sir. All right. You there, your name's uh, Waits, isn't it? Now, set them an example. Under you go. Come on. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Come here, Thompson. Is that welt on Waits' shoulder from your knotted rope? Well, sir, I had to use my starter a bit, sir. I understand this. I won't have a petty officer on my ship who doesn't know when to use a starter and when not to. I'm not soft, but those men are bewildered, and hitting them won't clear their heads. Another mistake of this kind, and I'll disrate you. Now, get forward before I have you flogged in front of these jailbirds. So it went on. All the worries of preparing for sea, re-rigging, re-vittling, wondering whether I could man my ship in time. And other worries, too. Mariah, my wife, was with me in my lodgings. Tearful, cloying, affectionate. She had whispered to me that it was possible we were going to be parents again. A new worry for me to take with me to sea. And I felt guilty because... Well, because I was just over the shock of the news that Lady Barbara Wellesley over whom I'd nearly made a fool of myself aboard the Lydia, had suddenly married Admiral Leighton, the man under whom I was now serving. Had my appointment been due to her benevolent influence, or was it a subtle revenge out of pique? I asked myself the question anew when a boy brought a letter to my lodgings addressed to my wife and me. The Angel Inn, Plymouth, May the 4th, 1810. Rear Admiral Sir Percy and Lady Barbara Layton would esteem it an honor if Captain and Mrs. Horatio Hornblower would dine with them at this address tomorrow, the 5th, at 4 o'clock. <clears throat> My dear, it's almost a command. We must accept. And I've only my blue sack gown. Mm, yeah. Oh, it looks perfect. Oh, that's what you say about everything I wear. Uh, tell me, is she very genteel? Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I'm... Who? Is who genteel? Well, Lady Barbara, of course. Oh. She, she traveled home from Panama with you and the Lydia, didn't she? Oh, yes. Well, well, she's she's Lord Wellington's sister, you know. She's oh. a very charming woman, though. Uh, I, must, I must go down to the ship, my dear. Oh, oh, Horatio, must you? Horatio, Oh, I was hoping we could spend the afternoon yes, together. I'm sorry, there's so much to be done, so much to think about. Sir Percy Layton. 
She doesn't love him. Huh? How do you know that? <laughs> who, who said she doesn't love him? <laughs> Nobody said so, dear. But a woman doesn't need to be told these things. Why, it's obvious in her every look and gesture. It is strange. For a woman in her position has no need for social climbing. Mm. I suspect it was a political marriage. Oh. The latent votes will be valuable to the Wellesleys if anything happens to the poor old king. And then there will be a regency and... Well, the Wellesleys are almost the only faction left with the will to carry on the war against Bonaparte. They'll need all the support they can get. Mm, I don't understand these things, but she is a very charming woman, as you said. Mm. Uh, she asked if I was to accompany you on this voyage, but I explained that with the, <laughs> the hopes we're beginning to cherish, it, it would be inadvisable. What? what? You told her that? Oh, yes, dear. Why should I not? Oh, oh no. No reason why not. Of course, it's... it's... Well, it's a shame you can't come, but, well, never mind. I'll be back with a bag full of guineas for prize money before two years are up. Two years? Oh, it is a lifetime. Horatio, how is the commissioning proceeding? Uh, Have you enough men in store? Nothing like enough. I need 50 more topmen, and topmen are not to be picked up out of jails. The flagship Pluto and the Caligula are almost ready to sail, and the East India convoy, which we're to escort, are already assembling... I can't see how we're to be ready in time. Uh, don't worry so, dear. You've never failed yet. Look, I could spend all my next quarter's pay on stores and still not have bought too much. The Sutherland already shows my poverty. She's She's been painted by the dockyard in their usual niggardly fashion. Other captains pay out of their own pocket for white and red and gold leaf. I must be content with the dockyard, dull yellow and black. I only wish I could live more cheaply so that you could spend more on your ship. Oh, no, no. Don't reproach yourself, my dear. No economies that you could make would buy the pigs and fowls and sheep that I need, let alone the luxuries I must provide for entertaining other captains or, or perhaps the admiral himself. Mm -hmm. Apples, cigars, raisins, cheese, port, cherry, madeira... Peppers, cloves, allspice, prunes, figs, a chest of tea, wax candles, a dozen shirts, four more pairs of silk stockings. Oh, I could go on endlessly. Oh. Well, let's go to sleep, my dear. The problem will keep till tomorrow. Excuse me, sir. 
Mr. Bush sent me to say the last of the stores are coming aboard, sir. Oh, very well, thank you. Uh, wait a moment. Uh, you're Midshipman Longley, aren't you? Mr. Gerard's nephew? Yes, sir. My first voice, sir. Oh. Well, Mr. Longley, attend to your work and do your duty. And, well, you may be a captain someday. <clears throat> oh, very well. Tell Mr. Bush I'll be out presently. Yes, sir. And hey, Mr. Longley. Yes, sir. Come inside, boy. Well, come in. Stand still. What was it you said last? I said... I said, sir, that Mr. Bush... No, said... no, no. What did you say last? Last, sir? Uh, oh, I said, yes, sir, sir. Well, and what ought you to have said? Aye, aye, sir. Very good. Well, remember that. You have a certain quickness of understanding. You learn how to handle men, and you'll make a useful warrant officer. You may go... When I went up to the quarter deck a few moments later and gave Bush the order to make sail, I found the decks in a horrible muddle as the officers drove the wretched crew, made more stupid than usual with weariness, to the mizzen rigging. Ah, just look at the lovers. Nine minutes already. Why, the Marines are better sailors. The wind is back east to lift. Rounding Devil's Point will not be easy. No, sir. Race those yards, Ron! Ah, well out, sir. of transports, Mr. Bush, scattering before the wind as if they actually wanted to be snapped up by a privateer. Ah, uh-huh. The flagship shortening sail. Get our royals in. Aye, aye, sir. Flagship, uh-huh. It's the Caligula. Make more sail. Take station ahead of convoy. Oh. Yeah, it's Captain Bolton who's got that job and not me. They'll have to run down to hailing distance and perhaps fire a gun before those transports are back any notice of him. Well, I'll be damned. Now, the Indiamen are shortening sail, and as though the convoy wasn't scattered enough. Admiral signaling for the Indiamen, sir. Make sail. I'll bet he's raving mad, but you can't court-martial them. But those India captains make 5,000 pounds out of a voyage. What do they care about an admiral? I'd like the mind of ever in command. Night coming on, and the convoy scattered almost before it started. Going to the best advantage, as I considered it, it was his duty to keep the convoy together, whatever the difficulties. I felt a cold chill spring to my forehead and a slight trembling in my legs. I knew what was coming. It happened at the start of almost every voyage, but I loathed and feared it. I would not give in. I would not. Another signal, sir. Flagship to Sutherland. Take night station. Oh, well, acknowledge. Mr. Bush, take... Take... Uh, aye, aye, sir. Quarter miles of windward of convoy, sir. Yes. Look out, sir. Oh, 
which you were going to fall. Yes, I've uh, not quite found my sea legs, Mr. Bush. Uh, I've been ashore too long. Lord Nelson was just the same, sir. For the first day of each voyage, he'd stumble like a baby. Talk about feeling ill, sir. <laughs> my resistance was at an end. Blindly, drunkenly, I staggered to the companion rail, lurched down to the half-deck, and along to the door of the after-cabin. Paul Wheel, my steward, was laying dinner at the table. Get out, Paul Wheel. Uh, are you feeling all right, sir? C can I do anything for you, sir? Yes, Paul Wheel, you can obey an order. What's that, sir? Get out. <laughs> Horatio Hornblower, starring Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Call all hands. Beat the quarters. Come out the guns. Stand by this covered battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Linstock ready. Aye, aye, sir. Ready. back now over all my voyages, I think the start of that one was the most miserable and distressing. My ship was seriously undermanned. I was suffering from the seasickness which always attacked me at the beginning of a voyage. My mind was torn between anxiety for my wife Mariah, who would be having our baby before my return, and misery at the marriage of Lady Barbara Wellesley. And now I was saddled with a cat of six fat, stupid, lovely merchant ships. As I stood on my quarter-deck in the grey dawn with the wind whipping through the rigging, I cursed those Indiamen for their slowness in acknowledging my signals. They must man those Indiamen with blockage, sir. Uh, the Lord Mornington's been flying that signal at the dip for ten minutes. Well, they haven't the sense to clear the halyards. Oh, well. I've, I've given them their course for Finisterre, and they must follow it as best they can. Uh, I shall go below, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Uh, one moment, sir. What's that? Something's happening. The warmer castles hold a wind. Look, sir. You can see us through the glass. Mm, yes. Yes, she's spun round. She's she's clawing up to windward towards us. Surely she's signaling. Where's the signal, Lieutenant? Here, sir. It's a jumble signal. I can't read it. What? Looks like number 29, sir. Huh? But it can't be. That means discontinue the action. And now she's hold it down. Well, there goes another. It's, it's number 11. 
Number 11, sir. That means enemy in sight. Master there! What can you see on the port bow? Nothing under the Walmart castle, sir! Are you oh. sure? Yeah, I can see them now, sir! Two luggers on the port bow! Luggers, eh? That can only mean privateers, sir. If they can pick off an East Indiaman, it'll be a feather in their caps. Then we shall prevent them from feathering their caps. Hands to quarters, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Hands to quarters! <laughs> We'll need our wits about it, Mr. Bush. It's going to be difficult. They will maneuver to cut off a ship to windward of us. Lay alongside a border while we're beating up against the wind. That's it. Those luggers are as quick as lightning in stays. The Indiamen are so slow, and our crew is so raw. There are two luggers. We shall have to parry two thrusts at once. You can see them plainly now, sir. Two masters. They have about uh, 20 guns apiece, nine pounders. We could blow them out of the water if they were fools enough to come in close range. I'd say they carry about 150 men each, and all mad for gold. Yes, have the guns loaded and run out, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Run out the guns! That's the leading lugger, sir. Didn't see where a shot went. Helm or starboard. for the luggers to death. Ah, I thought so. They're swinging away to avoid our broadside. Back to main topsail. We must keep to windward of the convoy so that we can dash down to any danger point. Let the convoy get ahead again. Hello, sir. What are they up to now, sir? They're leading the convoy. Yes, they're going to swing round presently and attack the starboard ship. Clap on sail. We must intercept. Yes, there they go. They're after the Lord Mornington. Out of port. Out of port. They're going to switch to the warmer castle, or I'm a Dutchman. Yes, I thought so. Ha-ha. <laughs> ah, you thought ahead of them there, sir. We cut them off again. If only the Indiaman had the sense not to scatter. Once they break up, we'll never get to the threatened one in time. Hello. What's the game now? Well, they thought up some plan, I imagine. They're working astern of us. Yeah. Yes, I think I see their intention. They're going to diverge. Yes. Here they come, sir. One to starboard, one to port. Yes. They're going to attack both wings of the convoy at once. Uh -huh. We'll never get across from one to the other in time. We must. There's no alternative. The starboard lugger is slightly nearer. We'll tackle her first. Starboard, two points. Starboard, two points. We shall cross the lugger's bars on this course. She'll have to edge away to avoid our broadside, and that'll keep her off the convoy. Well, what about the other one, sir? This course is taking us away from the convoy. Can't help that. Our only hope is to get back in time. We've edged this one away at least. The second lugger, sir. She's attacking the warmer castle to pause. for the braces. Hard as starboard. All right, say along, Mr. Bush, quickly. Stand to your guns, sir. 
Sutherland rushing down upon her, she sheared off again. Obviously, she worked round to make a dash at one of the outside ships, but I swung the Sutherland round and headed her off. Thus it went on, for an hour or more, like a game of hide-and-seek. But with only one lugger to deal with, my task was easier. At last, the Frenchman realized that he was wasting his time. His big lugsail came round, and he thrashed away to windward in search of his crippled colleague. He's off, sir. We've had no more trouble with those two. No, Mr. Bush, but the captain of that second lugger is, is a fool. If he left his consort to look after itself and hung on to us until nightfall, he'd be almost sure to pick off one of our ships in the darkness. Well, yes, you can secure the guns now. Aye, aye, sir. Secure the guns, Mr. Jello! What are those idiots cheering about? From the noise they're making, you'd think they're one for Falga. Mr. Bush, stop that noise at once. Send the hands aft. I'll speak to them. Silence! Silence, dear! Well, no more of that. What have you done? Frightened up a couple of luggers not much bigger than our longboat. Two broadsides from 74 guns and you're pleased with yourselves for knocking away a single spar. Half the trouble with the men is that we haven't enough old hands to lead them to the right ropes. It's the same with my gun, sir. I've got 74 of them and no more than 50 trained gun layers. I know. I'll train them in time, sir, but half my gunners couldn't hit a three-decker at point-blank range. I know, I know, I know. By heaven, I'll... I'll get some more men before this voyage is much older if I... Well, if I have to land in France and seize Frenchmen.
days of a strong northeasterly wind had not only hurried my convoy to the North African latitude where I was to leave them, but had also prevented all intercourse and visiting between ships. But now the wind had dropped to a gentle breeze. Sutherland was slipping slowly along with a westerly breeze abeam, and the six East Indiamen were clustered together only a few cables' length to do it. Even before Gerard reported, I had marked the approach of a boat from the Lord Mornington, and had nerved myself for the inevitable polite call. As the visitors came aboard, I saw that the man in the formal frock coat was Captain Osborne of the Lord Mornington. His companion was resplendent in full civilian dress with ribbon and star. Good afternoon, Captain Hornblower. I would like to present to you Lord Eastlake, Governor-designate of Bombay. This is a great pleasure, Your Lordship. Uh, the, the, the pleasure is mine, Captain. I have come to beg of you to accept, on behalf of your ship's company, this purse of 400 guineas. 400 guineas? <laughs> Sir, it has been subscribed by the passengers of the East India Convoy in recognition of the skill uh, and the courage uh, displayed by the Sutherland in action with two French privateers. Well, this is most generous and <coughs> totally undeserved, sir. I, nevertheless, I greatly appreciate your kindness, and on behalf of my ship's company, I thank your lordship. And I, sir, am the bearer of a most cordial invitation to you and your first lieutenant to join us at dinner in the Lord Mornington. Oh, thank you for your courtesy, sir. I deeply regret that I must decline the invitation, but we part company in two hours. That is a pity, uh, Captain Hornblower. Uh, cannot you be persuaded? Oh, my lord, I'm on the king's service and under the most explicit orders from the admiral. Oh, well, in that case, Captain, I, uh, I understand. Uh, but at least you will allow me to, to, to meet some of your officers. Begging uh, uh, your pardon, sir, but uh, there's no need to turn all that money over to us and the men. You could treat it as prize money and take your share under prize rules. Thank you, Mr. Bush, but I can't accept that sort of reward from civilians. However, the crew must show appreciation. Man the yards and have the men give three cheers as Lord Eastlake's boat pulls away. Aye, aye, sir. Man the yards! Now then, men, Lord Eastlake has brought you a present for saving the convoy. Three cheers for his lordship! Desperately short of men. I am going to take some from those East Indiamen. But, sir, they're John Company ships. Their men are exempt from pressing, sir. Nobody is exempt when the King's service needs him. I'm aware that I'm contravening Admiralty orders, but I plead necessity. Now, will you excuse me, sir, if I point out that John Company is the most powerful corporation in England? It might be a bad policy to offend them, sir. I'll be a judge of my policy, Mr. Gerard, and I'll take the responsibility. You will obey orders. I hope. Those ships will sight no land until they reach St. Helena. It'll be three or four months before any protest can reach England, and a uh, further six months before any centre can reach me in, in the Mediterranean. It's possible that in six months we shall all be dead. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Give the boat's crews pistols and cutlasses, just to show that I'll stand no nonsense. I want 20 men from each of those ships. <gasps> 20 from each, sir? <laughs> That's flouting the law on the grand scale, sir. That's the only sensible scale on which to flout the law, Mr. Bush. Captain Hornblower, this is an outrage, sir, and I must protest against it. At this very moment, your lieutenant is parading my crew with a view to impressment. He's acting by my orders, sir. Well, then, 
Why, I can hardly believe it, sir. Well, are you aware that this is a flagrant violation of Admiralty regulations? A perfect outrage, sir. The ships of the Honourable East India Company are exempt from investment. And I, as Commodore, must protest to the last breath of my body against any contravention of the law. I shall be glad to receive your protest when you make it, sir. Well, when I make it? But, but, but I have delivered it, sir. I have made my protest. But uh, will you not allow me to ask for volunteers from among your crew, Captain? Uh, there may be a few men who'd like to join the King's service. <laughs> oh, I cannot imagine, sir, that... Many men will be foolish enough to exchange the comfort of the East India Company's service for the rigors of a ship of the line, but, uh, well, <laughs> yes, I will agree even to that. Thank you. Uh, your seamanship in the affair with the privateers was so admirable that, um, frankly, I find it hard to refuse you anything. That's very good of you, sir. Allow me to escort you to your gig. I will recall my boats. Since they will have taken the volunteers first, we can rely on it that they have all the willing ones on board, and I shall return the unwilling ones. Thank you, Captain Osborne. Thank you. <laughs> he calmed down wonderfully, sir. Pity we had to give way. But we might get a few volunteers out of that lot, sir. <clears throat> I feel sure we shall, Mr. Wood. Here's the launch of the cutter coming back, sir. They're both loaded with men to the gunnel, sir. They're passing Captain Osborne's gig now. <laughs> He's waving and shouting something to them. Mr. Gerard and Mr. Raynard are very properly paying no attention to him. Stand by. The men will be coming aboard very shortly. Silence, gentlemen! The captain will address you. Now, listen to me, men. You're probably a bit bewildered at your sudden change of circumstances, but let me assure you that the entry port through which you've just passed... Is a gateway to glory. Yeah, we know what sort of glory. Yeah, we do. Yeah. man's blood who raises his voice or interrupts again. For 17 years, your country's been struggling with the Corsican tyrant. Your ease and comfort has been possible only because of the loyalty and courage of the brave men who've manned British men of war. Now you have the opportunity of joining that gallant company. But you've got other opportunities, too. The chance of prize money. The convoy from which you've come presented my crew with 400 guineas for their work in saving you from the French privateers. And there's more, much more, to be made by willing men on the East Coast by the taking of French prizes. You'll serve your country and yourselves at the same time. No man is treated harshly on my ship unless he deserves harshness. You're here, and it's in your hands now whether your lives go well or ill. And what I do, I do in the name of His Majesty the King. That's all. Guard, march these men down to the main deck. Mr. Bush, have the goodness to go down and read the articles of war to them. Aye, aye, sir. I have taken a bold step, but the necessities of war demanded boldness. I now had nearly a full complement of crew with these 120... Most of them able seamen. By the time Bush returned from reading the men into the service, the boats were inboard and we were all ready to square away. Mr. Vincent, signal to the convoy. All men have volunteered. Thank you. Goodbye. All men have volunteered. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. Uh, aye, aye, sir. I beg your pardon, sir, but uh, what will you say to the Admiralty? I shall tell them that I took the men with the permission of the Commodore. I did, too. He said I could keep any men who volunteered. Uh, yes, sir, but uh, not many did, really. 
You know Seaman as well as I do, Bush. It'll be a year before we get back to England, and in that time I shall be surprised if I don't convince most of them that they did volunteer. We only want a bit of luck and a few prizes, and those fellows will swear to anything. It's a master stroke, sir. And the Admiralty will be reluctant to prosecute. They know as well as we do how necessary seamen are. Signals down, sir. The Lord Mornington is replying. Ah, what does she say? Captain Osborne to Captain Hornblower. Do not understand your signal. A wake boat. Thank you. Is that all sail? Hands for braces. Square away there. Mr. Vincent, hoist another signal, please. Just one word. Aye, aye, sir. Which word, sir? Goodbye. Horatio Hornblower, starring Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.